All right. Uh, this is going to be a great series. I tell you, uh, in studying this about the blood and about covenant, it's just made me so aware of what has been done for you and me in the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, that it was a covenant. Now tonight, what we're going to look at to open up this series is the amazing world of covenants. And I want us to understand the power of covenant. This is going to be a really, really strong word. Let's get right into it. And you know I'm going to ask you to stand one more time because we're going to pray and then you can sit down the rest of the time. Say, well, I can't get settled in here. I get my Bible on my lap. He has a stand again. That's okay. I stand the whole time and I'm happy to do it. All right. Now, um, let's just pray because this is not really opening with a verse, but with some statements about covenant. And I want to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to give us revelation. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that through your Spirit, you give revelation to your people. Lord, you said that we didn't need that any man would teach us, but the same anointing that we had received, who abides in us, would teach us all things. Now, Lord, we pray for divine illumination on our minds and hearts that you will establish this congregation, this people, this church in a solid understanding of the covenant that we stand in, that our faith rests on. And I thank you for it, Lord. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good tonight. It's going to be worth the trip. All right, let's just begin this series on the, on the blood by talking about the subject of covenant, because that's what we stand in tonight as a covenant. Now, notice, first of all, the, the Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word testament comes from the Latin word testamentum, which means legal will, legal will. That's what it means. But you know what? The best word to describe these two divisions, old and new, is not testament, but covenant. Because that's what they are. They're covenants, not testaments. The Bible is the story of an old covenant and a new covenant. From here on out, we're going to use the word covenant rather than testament because that's what our faith rests in. And that's what we were saved by. The word covenant means a binding agreement between two parties. That's the root meaning of covenant. A binding agreement between two parties. The Hebrew word for covenant is berith. The Greek word is diathake, diathake. The word actually means, either one of them means to cut covenant, to cut covenant. By definition, it's an agreement to cut a covenant by the shedding of blood. Now I want you to get that because this is fundamental to this whole series on seeing red, the blood of Jesus. That covenant has to do with always Bible covenant, the shedding of blood, the shedding of blood. So the two divisions in the Bible are about an old blood covenant and a new blood covenant. That's what they really mean. When you show somebody your Bible, you could easily say to them, well, yeah, it's, it's two books, the old blood covenant and the new blood covenant. What do we stand in? We stand in the new blood covenant. That's what we stand in tonight. And I'm so glad for that blood covenant. 
Now, a blood covenant between two parties is the closest, the most enduring, the most solemn, and the most sacred of all contracts. It is unbreakable. In Bible thinking and Bible understanding, which is God's thinking and God's understanding, it is unbreakable. Blood covenant. To enter into a blood covenant with someone was to promise to give them your life, your love, and your protection forever. Now, in just a minute, I'm going to take you through what an Old Testament blood covenant would have consisted of. And I got to tell you, it's heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff. For instance, in the eyes of God, did you know that marriage is a blood covenant? Look at me and tell me you knew that. No, no, I, I got married just thinking, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just end it. You know what? It's a blood covenant. Now, whatever has happened to you in marriage, in your past, divorces, whatever, you know, I always say, if I, if I speak, for instance, on abortion, I will say, if you've had an abortion, this is not to condemn you or to judge you or make you feel bad. But I can't not talk about it out of fear that you're going to feel bad. Our God is a forgiving, restorative God. If you've been through a divorce, and many of you have, you know what? It's a new day. God forgives and God moves us. But we've got to be willing to retain what God's original intent was. Okay? So, the reason we wear, for instance, the wedding ring on the third finger is because man believed that the third finger had a nerve leading to the heart. And since the heart is the central part of the body that keeps the blood circulating, it became the symbol of life. So that third finger, they believed, had an artery that went straight to the heart, and that's why the ring ended up being put on the third finger. When the husband and wife come together after the ceremony, the blood covenant is consummated when the hymen is broken. God so created man and woman that in the presence of the marriage covenant, blood would be shed. Have you ever thought about that? Isn't that powerful? Don't tell me we've evolved. We were made. And you know what we were made by? A covenant God. If you want to understand Jehovah God, you've got to understand that Jehovah God is fundamentally and always a covenant God. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. So to be a covenant keeper is to be like him. This is why Paul said that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul said this is a profound mystery, but what I'm really talking about is Christ and the church. So with a man and a woman, you have a picture of Christ and the church. The man and the woman in God's ideal When the covenant is made, there is the shedding of blood. When Jesus redeemed us, it was in the shedding of blood. And so the earthly marriage is just a picture of Christ and his church. Earthly marriage is a picture of the covenant between Jesus and his church, which he covenanted with by the shedding of blood. I'm going to tell you something, folks. We don't know how seriously God takes his covenant. I mean, he is so covenanted to stick with you to see you through all your troubles, to love you no matter what, 
to walk through your valleys with you, to hold your hand in the fire, to bring you out on the other side, to provide for you, to guide you, to watch over you, to love you, to embrace you, to keep you only unto himself. Let me just tell you today, you're married to Jesus. Married in a covenant made by blood. Praise God. Now, let me just show you. When two old covenant Hebrew males entered into a blood covenant like we saw with Jonathan and David and uh, several instances in the Old Testament, they went through a very specific ceremony. And I want to show you this ceremony. And as I read this ceremony, I want you to, to draw the parallels between what I'm reading and what we know Jesus has done for you and me. The first thing they would do is take off their coat or their robe. You remember that Jonathan did that with David? He took off his coat or his robe and handed it to Jonathan. When it says, when David came back from slaying Goliath, it says that Jonathan's heart was knitted to David. And they made a covenant. And when they made this covenant, Jonathan took off his kingly robe and he handed it to David. Now here's what that symbolized. I'm giving you all of myself, my total being, and my life. I pledge to you. Now this was guys. And it isn't weird either. This was two men making a covenant. And it was what you did in the Old Testament. Now the second thing they would do is take off the belt. The belt did not hold up their pants. It held up their weapons. The belt held the armor together. My bow and arrow, my dagger, and my sword. That's why the Bible says that we're to put on the belt of truth. And as long as you walk in truth, the rest of the armor is held on. That's, that's the, the impact of that armor. The belt of truth keeps the rest of the armor intact. Shield of, of faith, breastplate of righteousness, the gospel sandals, so on and so forth. All of that is kept intact by walking in truth. That's why it's so important that we not just believe in a God who is true, but we walk in our personal, private lives in truth because it keeps the armor on. Now, symbolically, they were giving to each other their strength and pledging their protection. We could say it like this. They would say to each other, here is my strength and my ability to fight. If anybody attacks you, they're also attacking me. Your battles are my battles and mine are yours. I will fight with you. I will help defend you and I will protect you. And don't you know that that's what Jesus says about you and me? If somebody attacks you, they attack me. If they get on your case, they get on my case. I will protect you and defend you and guard you and watch over you. If they attack you, they need to know they got a, that you've got a big brother. Amen? Now, the third thing is they would cut the covenant. They would cut the covenant. They would take an animal. Now, this is kind of gross. I didn't like it either. But this is what they did. They would take an animal and split it down the middle. This took place only in the context of a covenant. Each man would then stand between the two halves of flesh with their backs to each other. They would then walk right through the bloody halves, making a figure eight and come back to a stop facing each other. Now, what did that signify? Well, here's what it signified. First, it said that the two men were dying to themselves, 
giving up their rights to their own lives and beginning a new walk with the covenant partner to the death. How powerful is that? As I read this, how many of you would do this? Boy, I'd have to look long and hard and think and pray for a long time to do this with anybody. But this is what they did. And don't you see Jesus in this? Didn't he say, die to yourself to walk with me because I'm giving my life to walk with you? I mean, this is so beautiful. So in this covenant, each of the dead animals represents the men dying to themselves. Second, since the blood covenant is the most solemn pact, we each point down to the bloody animal and say, God do so to me and more if I ever try to break this covenant. I'm looking down at a bloody animal on the ground, split down the middle, not a pretty sight. And I've covenanted with you so strongly that I say, may God do this to me if I ever break this covenant. And you make this oath in the presence of God. That's powerful stuff. Now the next thing they would do is they would raise their right arm and mix blood. The men would next raise their right arms, cut their palms, and bring them together. The blood intermingled. This signified that now their lives were intermingled and had become one. The life was in the blood, so to mingle blood was to mingle life. Do you get the picture? Do you get the picture? They were, in essence, putting off their old nature and putting on the nature of their blood covenant partner. They were saying, what affects you affects me. What affects me affects you. I'm covenanting with you. I will never break this covenant. Powerful stuff. Then they would exchange names. While standing there with the blood intermingling, they exchanged names. They would each take the other's last name as part of their name. Now, I know you're thinking it sounds like they're getting married, but they're not. What they're doing is they're cutting an Old Testament covenant. And see, we have come so far in our culture from the whole concept of covenant and loyalty and friendship and commitment that we read something like this and it seems foreign and extreme to you and me. But to the people in the Old Testament, this was common. This is what they did. And they meant it. And they lived by it. And they died by it. Now the next thing was they would make a scar. The next step was to rub the blood together and make a scar as a permanent testimony to the covenant. If anyone were to try to hurt them, here's what they would do. They'd have, they'd have a scar on their wrist. And if going through their life's journey, somebody approached them, some kind of an enemy, to hurt them, they would raise up that right arm and show the scar. And when they showed that scar, they were saying, I'm in covenant with somebody, and you don't know how big he is. You touch me, I'm in covenant. And the guy that I'm in covenant with is going to touch you, silly. You better leave me alone. He may be Hercules. You never know. And so here's what he would be saying. There's more to me than meets the eye. I like this because I see Jesus all over this. How many times do you say to the devil, hey, in the name of Jesus, get off of me. So, see, they would say, there's more to me than meets the eye. If you're coming after me, you're also going to have to fight my blood covenant partner because he's covenanted to the death to protect me. And you don't know how big he is. So what are you going to do? Are you going to take your chances or back off? 
I was researching this and I ran across a story. This is a cool story. Henry Stanley, on his many explorations through Africa, cut covenant 50, 50 times with different chieftains. This was very wise. Anytime he'd come across an unfriendly tribe, he'd hold up that right arm, 50 scars. <laughs> he'd say, hey, I'm not just not alone. I don't just have one. I got 50 blood covenant brothers and nobody fooled with him. I think every missionary ought to learn that. They'd see 50 scars and any would-be attacker would take off running in the other direction. I like that. I like that. Now, the second, seventh thing they would do is they'd give covenant terms. Very important. They'd give covenant terms. Next, they would stand before witnesses and they would give the terms of the covenant. And here was the covenant. What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. But at the same time, they also get each other's liabilities. And I didn't know this till I researched it. If one were to get into financial trouble, he did not call his covenant partner and ask for help. He just said, where's the checkbook? Because you cut, that's why you cut a covenant with somebody, you better know them real well. Is this person inclined to be in debt? <laughs> because if they're inclined to be in debt, and y'all do that, you single folks, check somebody out real good before you marry them. If that guy's inclined to be in debt or that woman, this is the same thing. You take on their debt, it becomes yours. But in the Old Testament, two men would make a covenant. And if one of them got into debt, it was just understood the other one is going to help and was obligated to help get them out. That's covenant. Now the eighth thing, there's two to go. They would eat a memorial meal. In place of the animal and blood, they would have bread and wine. What does that make you think of? The Lord's Supper. In the Bible, wine is called the blood of the grapes in Genesis 49, 11. And it represents our own life blood. The bread represented their flesh and the wine, the blood of the covenant. Does the Lord's Supper make more sense now? Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Last thing, they'd plant a memorial. They would finally leave a, a memorial to the covenant by planting a tree and sprinkling it with the blood of the animal. The blood-sprinkled tree, along with the scar on their wrist, were permanent testimonies to their covenant. And after all of this, are you ready? After these nine things, they look at each other and say, friend. And we meet somebody at the racquetball court. Hey, friend, let me tell you something. Show me the scar. Where's the blood? I mean, these people, when they called you friend, it meant something. It really meant something. In Bible times, you didn't use the word friend until after a covenant was cut. It was not a term they used loosely as we do today. Now, the Bible contains a number of examples of blood covenant, and you probably recognize these. Remember when Abraham cut a covenant with Abimelech, the Philistine king? Or when Jacob cut a covenant with the con man Laban, his uncle? Remember that? But the most famous Old Testament covenant is David and Jonathan that I've already mentioned. Cut a covenant that wound up saving David's life from the murderous attempts of Saul. You remember that covenant? And you study when they made that covenant, cut that covenant, it was in peaceful times. David was inter uh, an international hero. He was a hero in his own day, a legend in his own time. So Jonathan cut the covenant with David in the best of times. They were not in tribulation. They were not in trouble. But later, 
You know the story. The women came out singing a top 40 Israeli song, and what was it? It was, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands, and it crawled all over Saul. And the Bible says, from that day forward, he viewed David with suspicion, jealousy, and envy. And finally, total hatred for David came into Saul's heart. He tried pinning him against the wall with a javelin, a spear. He ordered his servants to kill David. Before David knows it, he's gone from hero to zero, from famous to infamous. And the Bible says that David began to have to hide for his life. And now the covenant that him and Jonathan had cut became very, very crucial. Here's what I see in the story. I see that God used a covenant, a real covenant, to save the life of the future king of Israel. Literally saved his life. Because as you read the account, if you look at it and really uh, explore it, you find that as Saul got more and more vicious, more and more determined to kill him, it says that David would go to Jonathan and say, now you do remember that covenant we cut, right? I just want to be real sure that uh, uh, blood is, is not thicker than covenant. I, I want to know that you remember that day we cut covenant and you gave me your robe and, and your belt and, and we cut a covenant and we vowed that not only would, would we watch over each other, but our descendants. Very important here. Because when they cut a covenant, they said, what's mine is yours and yours is mine. Everything that I just showed you, all nine steps, somewhere in there, they did the same thing. And then they said, not only will I protect you and you me, not only is your life mine and mine yours, but also your descendants, I will watch over and I will protect. Now that's going to really matter later. Ten years David goes into the wilderness. Him and Jonathan say goodbye one fateful day. Remember me, David. Remember me, Jonathan. You're my friend. We cut a covenant. I'm with you, buddy. I'm with you. And David fled into the wilderness. Neither one of them knew at that moment they would never see each other again. Ten years would go by. David would go through hell on earth, and Jonathan would just grow up in the kingdom, in Saul's house, heir apparent, the next king of Israel by natural succession. But that's not God's plan. And so David, in one of the worst days of his life, his, his wife, or wives I should say, had been kidnapped. His, the town of Ziklag where he'd been staying was pillaged by the Philistines and Amalekites and and when he comes back from trying to go to war with the Philistines, he finds out the Amalekites have raided Ziklag and taken everything, and he has nothing now. He is a ruined man. It says his own men could be heard whispering in the distance, let's stone him. We've had all this fun we can stand. We've followed this cat for 10 years, and what do we get? Nothing but pain, sorrow, and regret, and disappointment, and disillusionment. I'm ready to call it a day, go on back to Israel, tell them we're sorry for following this guy. They had stones in their hand, and God, David got on his face, 
And it says he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And he said, Lord, what am I to do? Do I track down? Do I pursue the Amalekites? And God said, pursue, and you will overtake them and get everything back. David stood up and said, boys, drop the stones. Let's go. We're going after them. He rallied the troops in the worst of times, in the darkest of hours, took them against the Amalekites, totally defeated them, got everything back. And while he's doing this, Saul and Jonathan fall at the hands of the Philistines in another battle, in another place. And it comes to David. Guess what? When you least expected it, after 10 years of persevering, guess what? Today, the kingdom has come into your hands because Saul, your enemy, who you refused to take out with your own hand, has been taken out by the Philistines. You're the king of Israel. He goes into being king. He solidifies the kingdom. He brings it to its zenith of strength and power. And one day he's sitting on the throne looking out at all that God has given him. And the thought comes into his mind. Is there any children of the house of Jonathan? Are there any children of the house of Jonathan? Why, David, would you worry about this? You're the king, Jonathan's dead, Saul's dead, and you didn't do it to him. God did it to him. It's all yours. Why would you do this? Here's what he would say. Covenant. Covenant is why. Covenant. I made a covenant with that man, and that man refused to turn on me when his dad wanted to murder me. He did not turn on me to his own ruin, his own loss of the kingdom he would have had. And he kept his covenant with me, and I'm going to keep mine with him. Is there any children? And they said, well, there's one. He lives in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar means place of no pasture, a wasteland, desolate. His name is Mephibosheth. He said, go get him. Why? Because of covenant. Mephibosheth is sitting in his house. I've left my notes. I just got to tell you that I think it's one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament. You talk about an illustration of Jesus Christ and redemption and the blood. Mephibosheth is sitting in his house, and what David learned only by word of mouth was that when Saul and Jonathan were killed, that his nurse had picked him up and started running with him, and she tripped and fell down some stairs, and Mephibosheth was dropped in life. It crippled his ankles. He was crippled the rest of his life. He could not walk. He dragged his feet. He could not walk normally. He was crippled. And so you have here the picture of a fall. And in that fall, he became crippled. And because of that fall and being crippled and being kicked out of the kingdom, he found himself in a desolate wasteland. And now David says, put together a chariot and some horses and send an entourage to knock on Mephibosheth's door. I see the Holy Ghost all over that. Because weren't you in Lodabar? Weren't you in a wasteland? Weren't you in a desolate place? And weren't you crippled from the fall, doing what you didn't want to do, ridden with guilt, in darkness, lost, going straight to hell, and a knock came on the door of your heart? An entourage sent by the king? It was the Holy Ghost saying, the king wants to talk to you. The king wants to talk to you. 
And at first, Mephibosheth was scared. Oh, no, because it was very common for a, a new king to try to wipe out all of the former family of the one that went before him so there wouldn't be anybody who would try to take over his kingdom. And so at first he didn't know what it was all about. He was afraid of this entourage. But they said, no, all we want is the king wants to talk to you. The king wants to talk to you. And at first when the Holy Ghost comes knocking on the door of our hearts and says, Jesus wants to, we're afraid of him. We duck, we dodge, we hide. We, we don't want people witnessing to us. We don't want to go to church. We're under conviction. But then we realize he didn't want to hurt me. He wants to bless me. He wants to help me. And so he said, okay. And so they took him outside, put him on a royal steed, and began to take this Mephibosheth, the lost son of Jonathan, to the house of David. And here he comes on a royal steed with a royal entourage. I picture the Holy Ghost taking you and me into the presence of the Lord. God's royalty, his Holy Ghost, taking us into the presence of Jesus. And he said, what, what do you want from me? And David said, I had a covenant. I had a covenant with your dad, and I'm going to keep that covenant. If you'll choose me and choose to live with me, I want you to come into the king's house. I want you to eat the king's meals. I want you to sit with the king's sons. I want you to be like one of my children. I want to bring you in, Mephibosheth. I want you to leave the desolate wasteland, and I want you to live like a king. I've got a blessing for you. I've got a mansion for you. I've got a hope for you. I've got a place for you. And he said, I choose, I'll take it. And so there you have this beautiful picture of the power of covenant. Because what we're about to see is, let me see how far ahead of myself I went. Now, let me just show you this. Because of the power of the covenant, Mephibosheth, who had been living in a land called Lodabar, pastureless, desolate, wasteland, was brought into David's house. And because of covenant, Mephibosheth's land was restored. He was blessed with the blessings of a child of the king. All his past wrongs against David were forgiven. He joined David in a covenant meal, ate regularly at the king's table, and lived at the king's palace. And the descendants of Mephibosheth were blessed because they too were in covenant. No one could harm them. Sound a little bit like David represents Jesus and us, Mephibosheth? Isn't that beautiful? Amazingly, the Bible teaches, and this is what I want you to get, that God covenanted with himself before he created the world to redeem us by his son's blood. He had nobody greater to covenant with, so he covenanted with himself. Let me show it to you. Peter says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Run that through your gray matter. God chose Jesus. They covenanted. God the Father, God the Son covenanted in eternity that the Son would shed His blood in covenant to redeem us. And because of that covenant, God sends His royal entourage, the Holy Spirit, knocking on the doors of hearts all over the world saying, the King wants to talk to you. The King wants to talk to you. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants you to live with Him. He wants to take you into His home.
I tell you, I can't tell you how that moves me. What a beautiful picture of covenant. And in God's perfect time, church, as he remembered the covenant that he made with himself from the beginning, he came to the earth as one of us, flesh and blood and bones. He was born of the seed of woman, but not of man. So the blood flowing through his veins would be uncontaminated by sin. And I want to be real clear about this. If anybody has it in the Metroplex, I want us to have it and never lose it. Jesus was born of a woman, but not a man. The Holy Ghost was his father. The Holy Ghost moved upon the Virgin Mary and she conceived. So that when he was born, he was not carrying the blood disease passed on by Adam. So the blood flowing through his veins would be uncontaminated by sin. Jesus did not carry the deadly blood disease passed on by Adam called the sin nature. Paul wrote, quote, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. We sinned in two ways. We sinned by association, and we sinned by action. We sinned by association, and if we never sinned by action, we'd still be sinners, because we sinned by association. So through Adam, we all got a blood disease, all of us. But guess who never had the blood disease? Jesus, because he wasn't born of man. He was born of woman only. His was a body that would not know sin. The blood in his body was spotless and without blemish. The pre-existing eternal Christ, the Son of God, exchanged names with us and became Jesus, the Son of Man. Praise God. For 33 years, he lived a perfect life in order to be the once and for all perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. Have you ever considered, church, and next time we have communion, think about this. That the first Lord's Supper was a covenant ceremony in the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ who knew Old Testament, well, who wrote Old Testament law. Jesus gathered his, his disciples together to participate in the covenant meal of bread and wine. After the meal, Jesus went out and left a memorial to the covenant. He planted a tree. Follow me, everybody. What was he hung on? A tree. He planted a tree and he poured out blood on it but not the blood of goats or bulls, but his own blood. And it wasn't a little nick in his wrist either. It was a nail all the way through. It was all his blood poured out at the foot of the cross. The blood-stained tree that stands forever is a memorial to the covenant. When you look at the cross, that's the memorial to the covenant. Remember when Jesus walked into the room where they'd all been uh, hiding for fear of the Romans? And what did he do? He walked in and he said, see my hands. What was he saying? See the scars of covenant. See the scars of covenant. Isn't that powerful? He said, go ahead, touch me, I'm real. But I want you to know, brothers, I gave my life for you. We're in covenant. Here's the scars. I left the memorial tree at the old rugged cross. Every time you mention that cross, demons tremble and saved souls rejoice because that's where the covenant was cut. Praise God.
And God gave to us the covenant terms. What did he say? Here are the terms of the covenant. I'll take all your liabilities, all your sins on myself, and I'm going to become sin for you. I'll forgive your iniquities and remember them no more. I'll take all your self-righteousness and give you my own righteousness. God continues and he says, you clothe me with your robe of sin and I'll clothe you with my garment of salvation. In my robe of righteousness, which is my pure life blood poured out on the cross for you. I could have a benefit right now. Isn't this beautiful? Boy, I'll tell you. He said, I'll put my spirit within you and bless you with all spiritual blessings. And guess what? Instead of the scar worn by the two men making covenant, God sends the Holy Spirit to all who enter into covenant with him. And the Holy Spirit is the seal that bears witness and testifies to the covenant. He's the constant reminder, the guarantee that we are in covenant with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I like this. So when Satan, the enemy, comes against the Christian, we show him our scar. The power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit testifies, greater is he who is in us, the Holy Spirit, than he, Satan, who is in the world. When Satan sees our scar, he will flee from us because he knows he's already been whipped by our blood covenant brother, Jesus Christ. And Jesus will whip him again. Praise God. <laughs> because of our blood covenant, we can go forth in the name. Scripture promises that the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant will produce in you through the power of Christ everything that is pleasing to him. Tonight, I want you to leave this place knowing that God sent his son to cut a covenant. When we talk about Jesus dying on the cross, I want us to remember that what he was doing was he was birthing the new covenant. And now we stand in the blood of the Son of God, the covenant that he cut. He got the scars on his hands, scars on his feet. He gave his life for us. He has invited us to come into his house to bless us with all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. He's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us, never walk out on us, never leave us in a bind, never not step in to protect us. He's our big brother, as it were. He's already defeated the devil, death, hell, and the grave. He is our champion. He is our hero. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he's the soon coming king of kings and Lord of lords. Our brother, covenant brother, is going to come back at the sound of the trumpet. He's covenanted to get his bride and take us to the place where he promised. So praise God for the covenant of God. Amen. Well, can we stand together? And as we are, we got a little treat tonight. Here comes Super Dave with the kids, and they're going to show us what they've learned from their covenant brother. But as they're coming, can we just pray right now and say, Lord, thank you for the covenant. Thank you for the covenant. And I receive that covenant and the terms of the covenant. And thank you, Lord, that I stand in a covenant cut by the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name.
Amen. All right. Let's move this. Give the Lord a hand, everybody. And <clears throat> hang on, Dave. Let's see. Okay. Y'all can be seated. We're going to, the kids are just going to show us a little bit of what they've learned. And I thought this would bless you. Give the kids a hand as they get ready to come in. This is going to bless you. What do you need, Dave? Uh, okay. Hi, kids. Are y'all cold or are you warm? Are you cold? Preach real good. You might warm up. All right. What we're going to do tonight is they're going to do some Bible memorization work for you that we've been doing last semester. Uh, they've been learning Bible verses. They've been learning their Bible books. They've learned the Ten Commandments. Uh, we're missing a few kids here tonight, so I had to put them in order with kids who are here. Uh, it's going to take us about five minutes. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And the scriptures also say, hide the word of God in your heart that you might not sin against him. We're trying to get these kids to hide the word in their heart that the Holy Spirit will have fertile soil to work with them, that when they're having temptations to sin, they can overcome their sin. So I'm going to pray over them first. Father God, I bless these kids right now. I take away nervousness. I pray you help them to remember. Let them not have stage fright and let them have fun. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. All bless right. You kids. Now, hold it down. Don't start until I call you. We're going to do all the books first. All right. We're going to start off. Again, Psalm 119 11. Sarah. First Samuel 3 10b. Speak for his servant here. 1 Samuel 3 10b. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. John 3 16. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6 if you, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus um, and believe in your heart that, he, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10 9. Very good. Romans 5 For God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 8. Excellent. David, John 3 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world. Through him might be saved. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever man says that he will also be. Galatians 6 7. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and the life is in his son. 1 John 5 11. You shall not have no gods before me. Number two. You shall not have an idol. Number three. Num number three. You should not. You should not misuse. 
the Lord name of and the Lord your God. You should not. You should remember. Remember Saturday, keeping it holy. You got it. Okay, number five. Honor your father and mother. Number six. You shall not murder. Number seven. You shall not commit adultery. Number eight. You shall not steal. Number nine. You shall not give false testimony. And what's false testimony mean? Lying. No lying. That's right. Number ten. You shall not covet. All right. Now we're gonna do the Old Testament books. Haley, tell us how old you are. Seven. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, First and Second Third John, Jude, Revelation. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Let's hear them like a sheep gun. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, President Samuel, President Kings, President Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs, Psalm, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nehemiah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Good job, Lester. Woo! Now we're going to do the Old Testament books. Haley, tell Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. For he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bring, brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not, er, whose, oh, I forgot. He shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Amen. 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 Good kids. I always tell the kids when we learn those Bible books, who's got a Bible? Give me a Bible real quick. I always tell them, look upstairs. Some parents have those little cheater tabs, you know what I'm talking about, where you got to mark all of them. I said, there you go. There's the cheater tabs right there. Let me see the cheater tabs. I've told these kids, if you'll learn it now, when you get into a regular service of pastor and he's preaching, you'll flip right to it and you won't need your cheater tabs. So that's our incentive to get them learning. And I got to tell you right here, when you, she was six years old, I believe when we first started this, these kids can get the word in their heart. Folks, that's you right. can do this at home. You can put a memory verse on the refrigerator. Some of the other kids I hadn't given parts because they missed some of the practices so I tried to go with the kids who had been here the last couple of weeks doing practices but I'm proud of these kids because I had to push them it was like pulling teeth sometimes about wanted to kill them all downstairs when we were practicing <laughs> just trying to get them to do it but they pulled it off let's give them a big hand amen good I'm, I'm fine amen good 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 That's what we're raising the funds for. We want to give them the best that we can provide. Uh, isn't that impressive? And I really, really appreciate Super Dave's job with them and uh, Leslie. Is Leslie in here? Oh, the flu. Well, anyway, that was a real blessing. And they'll never forget the word. Amen. The word sticks. It really does. So, amen. Thank you, Dave. Good job. God bless you. All right. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you Sunday. We're talking about first things first, Sunday morning. Go have some food and fellowship. God bless you.